listeners, and welcome to Anyone Can Move. This is your host, Caroline Gerhart, and I'm joined again today by my co-host, Madison Vaya. Hi, everyone. So nice to be here. So we are so excited to share with y'all today um, the episode that we've done with Dean Endelin Taylor of the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. She was just recently named the Dean, and um, we just got to talk about so many incredible things and I'm so excited for everybody to listen to it. Um, and Madison has a personal connection to this guest today because Madison graduated from the University of North Carolina. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about your time there? Oh yeah, I graduated in 2020 and that was in the midst of all the pandemic crazies. But um, my understanding of technique and the choreographic process has never been more at its peak because of my training at School of the Arts. And their understanding of collaboration is continuing to grow in empathy. And I'm super excited to see where Dean Endelin Taylor can bring the program and continue the changes that it's already been implementing before she was there. And it's a wonderful school and a wonderful program. And that's my little plug for it. Yes, of course. Well, without further ado, our conversation with Dean Endelin Taylor. listeners and welcome to Anyone Can Move. I am so excited to welcome our special guest today, Dean Endelin Taylor. Hello, Dean Taylor. Hello, everyone. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. I'd love it before we get started, if you could just give our listeners a little bit of background on you, um, your life and your dance career. Certainly. Um, I am a native of Chicago, Illinois, and um, that is where I started dancing at the tender age of seven. Um, I am a South Side girl, um, which was a predominantly African-American neighborhood. Um, There was a small ballet school called Mayfair Academy of Fine Arts that um, was my first place of training in codified disciplines, and I studied ballet, tap and gymnastics all in a a 45 minute time span. Um, So it was like a survey of these these art forms. And ballet was the one that really stuck with me and resonated with me. And so upon having the opportunity to audition for the annual Nutcracker that took place there, I did so and was introduced to Larry Long and the Ruth Page School of Dance, which is where my, my formal training really began. And from there, um, many opportunities to um, participate in summer intensives, Joffrey Ballet, Pennsylvania Ballet, and ultimately Dance Theater of Harlem is what led me to getting into the Dance Theater of Harlem at the age of 16 and kind of spending and expanding my love of the arts and my career in dance. And since that time, I became a principal with that company fell in love, had a family at that company. Um, so Dance Theater Problem is very much um, a family to me. And also then transitioned into Broadway and performed in three um, very successful Broadway shows. Uh, Carousel was the first one, um, Lion King and Aida, before going back to school to get my master's in dance. 
becoming the director of the Dance Theater of Harlem School, um, co-director of its education and outreach program called Dancing Through Barriers, and then ultimately getting a position at the University of Illinois, um, where I was there for seven years. And in my last year there, I served as the Dean's Fellow for Black Arts Research. Um, and all of these things I, I feel very much led me to this moment where I'm currently the Dean of Dance at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. That is so incredible. That's such an incredible career that you've had and so many incredible opportunities that you've been able to experience. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you mentioned that you were on Broadway and then you went and got your master's degree. What led you to make that decision to take a break from performing for a little bit and go and get another degree? Well, I think that it was always um, in the back of my, my mind to, go back to school and um, get a, a degree. My former boss, Arthur Mitchell, was very much, um, he's, he's known as an artist. He's known as a, an incredible um, motivator. He was a critical thinker and he was a huge, huge, huge advocate for education. And um, during my time at Dance Theater, probably my very first year, I was a senior and at that time I was touring with the company but completing school through a correspondence program and that was something that he felt was essential so Dance Theater of Harlem paid for me to be able to do that um, so I think that mentoring and that um, that level of understanding that your education is something that um, continues throughout your entire life really stuck with me and so when the time came where um, my son was at a certain age, I have two children, by the way, but my oldest son was at a certain age. I wanted to really start to set roots and um, be able to continue to be a part of this field that I love so much, but in a different way. And I saw um, a degree in dance as that opportunity. That makes perfect sense. And you have, you've, taken a lot of leadership roles throughout your career. Did you see yourself as a leader, like starting off when you're in, you were in your teenage years or did you just kind of evolve into a leader? You know, that's such a great question. And I, I really don't think I ever um, set out to be a leader. I don't um, ever recall going, oh, I've got leadership skills and abilities. Um, but I think, what happens over time is that you realize that the best leaders are the ones who um, have collaboration, have a, a sense of respect for what others bring to the table and the room, um, and have the ability to really listen and then synthesize and add their own um, beliefs, skills, knowledge to um, a project, uh, an organization. And so I think I naturally fell into that, that um, category because I, I very much value and appreciate what other people um, have to say, their perspectives, um, which I think is a huge part of why um, equity and diversity and inclusion um, matter um, and mean so much to me. Right, and that, that is something that I'd actually like to ask you about, those things that you're so 
passionate about, which is so incredible. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your goals in your first year as Dean of the University of North Carolina School of the Arts and how you plan to diversify um, the program itself. Yes, well, my first year um, in many ways is what I call giving myself grace, um, my, my grace period to, to take in and absorb um, what is currently happening, um, to really deeply um, understand the history um, of this institution. Uh, it is uh, an incredible institution that has over 53 years of, um, of merit and worth and, and value and proof and, and things from, for me from which I can learn. So I am not one to rush to um, implementing and inserting my ideas. Um, I have plenty of them and I believe that there's a time to do that, but I also believe that there is a time to kind of take in and understand what it is you are coming into and how best you can then um, help to move um, the organization forward. Um, having said that, there, there are things that started happening um, were conversations um, in terms of being inclusive, um, things that may seem like little things, but are, are, are really huge to those people that it directly affects, like um, dress code. There are now brown tights and flesh tone tights that um, are a part of the uniform and the dress code. Um, we are also really working on um, non-binary dress codes as well, you know, um, so that people can see themselves and feel like they can be exactly who they are um, without having to fit into one category or the other. Um, I think curriculum has to be a huge part of diversity and inclusion because it needs to be deeply embedded and that is the way that it becomes normative. I think that um, history, all history um, needs to find its way into um, programs and arts programs. Uh, I think the, the history of the world and how the arts are situated within the world um, matters and those things need to be um, conveyed and understood by the students. You know, the, the saying that whose shoulders we stand on, um, why we're able to even be here today having the conversation that we're having um, is because of a history of people who, they are the foundations. It's the walls are just the walls. It's the people who, who fought for things, who stood up for things, who, who allow us to be able to do those same things today and, and innovate and move forward. Also choreography is also um, an area that I have you know, experimented in, in recent years with um, introducing narratives and conversations um, and some probably more atypical to ballet and that classical form, but that's my, my first language um, than some of the other art forms. So I think using the Choreographic Institute um, to give voices to many, many choreographers and creators um, will be another way that I will um, start to work with the wonderful team of people who are here to diversify this program. 
I think that's wonderful. And I just love the through line of listening before speaking and that being a mark of a true great leader. And I just love that. And that just builds the empathy and understanding because you're listening and then acting, but still having your ideas. I love that. And so with your works that you've already done, can you tell us about some highlights of works that you've done that have um, just shown the diversity and inclusion that you're hoping to implement? Yeah, certainly. I, I think the one that immediately speaks um, springs to mind is a, a piece entitled Chalk Lines, mm -hmm. which was um, created and performed in 2016. Um, my co-choreographer's name was uh, Dr. Kamal Nance. He is currently a professor at the University of Illinois. He has his own um, dance company as well. Um, his discipline um, is Mfundala. He um, is an incredible um, thinker and professor. And we found ourselves in, in a space together with these seemingly dis disparate art forms. And that drew us to one another. And we wanted to see how we could um, create a work that honored and celebrated um, the like and disparate things about our art forms um, and how we could do that and to also speak to current issues, things that really matter to us. So that process was incredible because it really started with conversations. We would sit in the room and talk about what we heard on the news and what really sparked chalk lines, which um, is a piece about the proliferation of violence against African-American men in particular. Um, what, what chalk the impetus for the, the choreography and the um, theme behind it was we had just heard about the Baltimore protests and the mother, I, I think her name was Toya, Toya Graham, who um, became a, a shero because she she slapped her son um, who was at the, the protests. And for um, mothers like myself, I instantly knew and understood what that slap was about. This was not violence or anger. This was love and this was concern. She sees her child in a compromised position that she did not know that he had placed himself in. Um, so, and for me, uh, and I don't want to speak for her, but her actions speaks to what we as women of color with, with black boys feel every day or could feel every day that he leaves that house. He may not come back just because of the color of his skin. So that, that slap was all of that, those emotions um, that we suppress um, every day and we refuse to let take over our lives, let it be the thing that um, kills us with a thousand little cuts um, and stops us from enjoying the things that we can enjoy and controlling the things that we can control. So that particular piece, also choosing to choreograph it and be in it was really significant. Um, and we used, at that point, it was at the University of Illinois. We use students in the dance department, but we also use students across the campus. And we use students from the uh, middle school there, young boys who sadly 
some were the exact age of some of the victims who had been shot and killed by the police. Uh, so it was very intense, uh, but at the same time, the music was um, heat wave, groove line, and it showed that other side of the human spirit of how you find a way to persevere and um, find joy in spite of the, path, the challenges and the pain. Um, so that, that piece, and I think in particular, um, resonates and, and stays with me. Other pieces I've done, there is a, a project called the Counterpoint Project, which was an evening length work. And it really was about celebrating um, the Black femme and her natural beauty. It was um, a collaboration with an incredible artist by the name of Patrick Hammy. He's a classic artist who does um, large portraitures and um, part of the project was a performance, but also he painted pictures of each one of the five dancers. And I was one of those dancers. And it was done in our, in our natural beauty, not a stitch of makeup or anything, which is a very um, obviously exposing but, and vulnerable thing. But what I found was that it was a liberating thing um, to own who you are. Um, at any stage of your life. And at that point I was in my fifties. So I was the one who was not just dealing with, um, not just dealing with myself as an artist but dealing with myself as a seasoned artist. So how and where ageism has a place in, um, in dance and the art form. And it has a wonderful place uh, because what you may lose in physical prowess, you gain so much in maturity and, and understanding and comfort and ease with what and who you are. I'd love those to are know. just two. Yeah, most definitely. And I'd love to know with those pieces, with your rehearsal process, did you speak with your dancers and explain the emotions that you were trying to portray? Or did you let your dancers interpret the movement for themselves in their performance? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. It was kind of a mixture of both. Um, but mainly what ended up happening was just letting the space be open to who and what they are um, and uh, their own journeys. Um, so each, each piece really ended up being informed by um, what they had experienced on an individual level. I mean, collectively, we were all Black women who were in an art form that hasn't always welcomed us or seemed to open up the doors for us. Um, and some of us had the more typical ballet body, some of us less so. So there were those individual um, challenges, um, but there were even more personal things. Um, for example, Chira Robinson, who is a ballerina with um, Ballet Black um, in London, I believe. I, want, I hope I'm saying that correct. Ballet Black, I, I don't want to say the wrong one because there's a company in Dallas, um, but she is with a, a predominantly um, people of color company in London. And she talks about how she, um, for many, many years was the only American, African-American in that company, but also she was, uh, she's a stunningly beautiful, very brown, brown girl. Um, and so she talked about the isolation of, of that within this company and um, the expectation of her um, 
of the responsibility of being the mentor to those kids who look like her and, and how that was both empowering and isolating at the same time. That's awesome. And um, yeah, and so with the isolation and I, I can't even imagine like the, the struggles of isolation that some artists feel and um, are there any times in your career that you felt specifically isolated? Oh, yes, um, absolutely. I, I think early on um, in, my, in my career as a student, I, I experienced some wonderful allyships from people of all colors. Um, my, my teachers were incredibly kind and generous and, and worked with me and pushed me. Um, but there were students who um, would not um, sit next to me in the dressing room. Um, I, I remember one day very specifically after class, going in to get dressed and going to put my street shoes on. And somehow in that particular day, I checked my shoes and there was chocolate smeared all inside. And there were a group of girls in the corner just looking and, and laughing. And um, that was probably one of those, the hardest moments because when you're young and you are just doing something that you enjoy doing and haven't had all of the information of uh, race and the systemic nature of it um, to, to kind of warn you about these type of things. I just felt so, I felt confused and frustrated and I felt like there must be something wrong with me that would make anyone want to do something like that. Um, but thankfully, um, age and wisdom and mentorship, parents who, who talk to you and start to give you a sense of self, um, who help you to realize that everything that you are um, is enough and that you can only give the gift that you have. How that's received is on someone else. Um, but how you present yourself becomes the thing that you can control. And, and for me, that has led me through a lot of instances where I felt isolated. I found ways to, um, to claim my space, be proud of who I was, um, turn what may have been perceived as deficits into assets and, and push through. And in saying it, it sounds like, oh, it's easy breezy, never easy breezy, just necessary. Yeah, I love that sentiment that, you know, how you present yourself is what you can control. And with that being said, do you have any advice for artists who um, can gain, like how they can gain empathy for people of differing backgrounds in their communities and in their um, studios and companies and so on and so forth? Yeah, I think this is, this is the, the challenging part because to that end, um, it, is, it is all of our responsibility um, for empathy to, to lead in spaces. Um, many times it falls on the, the people who are the victims of a lack of empathy. 
Um, but that becomes exhausting. That becomes extra labor. Um, we can't continue to teach things that um, people should already know um, and that they can learn in other ways. Some of that effort has to come um, from them and if they have a desire to do so. Now, we certainly have to meet one another um, in the middle and we have to go through things together. Um, but there, there are enough um, opportunities to really learn and get to know people, which I do think is at the core of empathy, really learning and understanding people uh, and then discovering that there we're so much more alike than we're unalike. Um, but if you don't know someone or ever get the opportunity to kind of witness and see um, where, where joy comes from, um, what where sadness comes from. We all have these emotions and usually they are coming from the same things we all love. Um, we all value our culture and who we are. Um, and the more we can value that and, and leave space for others to have that same value without feeling a sense of threat or erasure, um, I think that's where empathy comes in. And do you have any specific ideas in UNCSA and in the world of how you can encourage that kind of empathy from allies and just everyone in the community? Yeah, keep making space, keep making space for diversity. Um, I, I say that we have to, we have to understand and know the past. We have to um, value the past, we have to value history, we have to value tradition, but we can't be stuck in it. Um, we have to leave space for ways to innovate, open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up the art form to new narratives, to new collaborations, um, you know, and that, and that could be in any number of ways. Sometimes it is in the content of what works are about. And sometimes it's just in the people who are in the room, um, you know, so take a chance on new choreographers, take a chance on unlikely couplings. Um, you know, um, we, we have to be bold. I think being bold um, and being generous um, is, is the way for, for innovation and for empathy. Because until we, until we start to learn about one another, um, we, we won't have that in our hearts. You can't be empathetic without understanding. Right, and I think- Oh, go ahead, Caroline. Oh, sorry. I just think that's such a beautiful point to make too, that we talk a lot about on the podcast with our listeners who might not be dancers or movers. I think that some people automatically assume that because dance is an art form and we are very inclusive and we try and welcome everyone that that those things don't happen anymore, that we've completely moved past them. And while I think we have made great strides to try and move past them, unfortunately, things like that still happen. And I think the idea of just welcoming everything in terms of choreography and people and new ideas, that is like the most beautiful way to try and spark that change that might actually stick, that we shouldn't be stuck in our past, but always looking forward to new things. You're so right. Yeah, so we, there, there, has been progress there has been growth but there we're still siloed in lots of ways and there there are things that 
certainly need opening up and, and risk-taking. Um, but I think, you know, like it's been said, the, the, the reward is worth the risk. I, I think that um, dance will be greatly enriched by this, this opening up and this welcoming and this, this liberalness um, that we are known for. But I think we can really start to match that, the meaning of that word if we, you know, make space, make space for people's perspectives and their lenses. Being a School of the Arts alum, I um, know that there was a big conversation about bringing in more people of diversity. Are, are there people that you were able to bring in this year or have ideas of in the future that you're gonna be able to bring into the dance program at School of the Arts? Um, yes, I mean, and I, and I do want to uh, give kudos to um, the administration here, our Chancellor Cole and um, Provost Sims and the, the School of Dance and the, the interim Dean Jared Reddick. Um, they had started um, making, in a, in, you know, inroads in this direction. Um, and so the choreographers and the guest artists who um, were a part of this year were, I think, very, very deliberately chosen. Um, and in saying that, there's not one level of excellence that was diminished. And I think that that's important to, to realize that in choosing diversity, you're not somehow lessening um, the, the experience uh, or the expertise, uh, you're just expanding it out to include more voices. Um, so that has already started. Um, I will be bringing in a couple of guest artists um, in, in a few spaces. This year has already been set, but um, Darrell Moultrie, who is a, a choreographer, a, a dear friend, a former performer, um, who is, so richly diverse in his, his choreography. He has worked with classical ballet companies, contemporary companies, and as well as Beyonce. So, you know, he brings this, he is, he epitomizes um, a diverse uh, mover and a diverse um, choreographer. Um, also, there are other choreographers who are coming in, women, Women need more of a voice as the um, creators of work, particularly in ballet. So there will be female choreographers who are coming in. Or um, yeah, it's we're diversifying, and we will continue to do so. Um, I have a huge initiative that I'm excited about for the coming year uh, that. I can't 100% share with you, but it will be something that will really um, open up what and who should be celebrating and represented um, during the holiday season. Let's just say that. Oh, that's very exciting. <laughs> I'd love to know, um, Dean Taylor, if you have any advice for artists from who are feeling isolated whether it be their race, religion, background, gender, um, what advice you would have for them to encourage them to keep going and to not give up on their dreams? Yeah, I, 
for me, when things got kind of the darkest or the most challenging in my career and I reached the point of having to decide if I wanted to continue on or not, um, I had to decide if the art form was bringing me more joy than turmoil, if it felt more toxic than um, a place where I, I found um, happiness and, and challenge. And once I decided that I still loved doing it, what I removed was the pressure of pleasing someone, uh, looking to be accepted. And I poured into just being the best version of me that I could be within the art form. Um, and things really turned around. Um, choreographers started um, picking me for their works and um, even almost a weight of that pressure lent itself to even a, a change in, in my body, you know, um, how it performed and um, uh, how healthy and how fit and strong I felt mentally and physically. Um, so if you can find that, um, it helped me, I can say that. But there are also ways to feed um, your soul and others. You know, there are, there are people in communities, and I, I think one thing we've really found out with um, COVID and the accessibility of the arts on social media and through other channels, people soak it in. Um, so go perform for seniors. Find opportunities to share your gift with people who will, I guarantee you, appreciate it and make you feel valued. Um, you know, have four plan A's is what I say. Don't, don't think of your plan B as a B because that seems like it's something that is a, a fall to, a fallback. Have four plan A's and this plan A, okay, let's go to the next one. So you never feel like you are not succeeding because everything that you're doing is a learning process. It, it's giving you some valuable information. That's the greatest advice I think you could have ever given. I don't know who would want to give up after that. <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, so what point in your career were you at like one of the most defining shifting points, like you were saying that breaking point of, is this bringing too much destruction in my life or am I able to kind of flip this around and find joy again? Where were you at that point? Yes. Well, I was at dance theater and I had been there, um, a couple of years and I was going through a lot of things just uh, as a teenage girl would, my body um, saw, suddenly started to change and I took on curves and, you know, um, so body image uh, became a thing. I was seeing dancers who were um, lighter than me getting certain roles, um, um, having opportunities. Uh, and it was, it felt more like I was, um, stuck and not moving forward and not getting the opportunities to, to dance and do what I felt in my heart I could do. 
and and when you when you're pushing and giving your all and it doesn't seem like things are coming um, and you feel like you're being noticed but still not being um, I don't want to say rewarded but given the opportunity I think that that was that moment for me am I just beating my head against the wall you know why am I doing this if I'm not ever getting the opportunity to perform and that's why I I, I recommend finding ways to perform, finding that audience that, that's going to be deliciously low hanging fruit, that they are going to give you a standing ovation just for showing up. Um, in many ways, you, you have no idea what that is doing for them, um, but it's also feeding you as well. Um, so that, that was kind of that, that tough part, wanting to, wanting to dance, wanting to Form, wanting to be accepted and yeah just it not happening when it felt like it it should I'd love to hear a little bit about some mentors that you had throughout your career that gave you the inspiration and that goal to keep going yeah well you know Cheesy as it sounds, my, my parents uh, were incredible mentors. They were uh, incredibly in creative in even being able to provide access to the art form of, of ballet in particular. It's very expensive. And we were a lower middle-class family at best. And I had three siblings who they were also providing for, uh, but somehow, they managed to send me to summer intensives. I managed to have my uniforms and my attire. Um, there were times when, you know, my point shoes were so soft that I could barely stand on them because, you know, the, the check hadn't come in yet, but they found ways to, you know, to keep me in and, and allow me to do what I ultimately end up um, having as my life's career. Uh, so being, being resilient is something that I learned from them. Arthur Mitchell, uh, an incredible mentor, again, because he, he taught me to, to think of myself in a multiplistic way. I think he, he really instilled in us the sense of being artists, but representing something larger than yourself. So being spokespeople, being ambassadors, um, being entrepreneurs, uh, being educators, um, being able to not just be about the art form, but be able to speak about the art form. And, then I, and I've learned since in seeking funding for my own projects, being able to write and speak about what it is you want to do is, is critical. You know, um, so yes, dance is a language, we speak with our bodies, but in order to have the opportunity to do that, sometimes you have to be able to articulate what it is you want to do and why what you want to do should be supported. Um, I, I have mentors now, um, there's a professor, her name is Ollie Watts Davis. Um, she is a professor of music at the University of Illinois. Um, and she is someone who mentors in everything she does because the moment you walk into her classroom, she's teaching. And from the moment you leave, she's still teaching. Um, so 
to be a constant learner is something that I have really embraced from her. And um, what are some ways at School of the Arts and beyond that um, I'm being a dean, I know that it's hard for students to approach deans because it's like, whoa, they're the dean of the school. And it's, it's a big deal and it's a lot of responsibility. How do you plan to kind of make yourself accessible to students in a way that you feel like is appropriate for your position? Yeah, well, um, we've had our, you know, our orientations and those conversations. And I've, I've already verbalized several times, I will be walking around. I intend to be a very present dean. Um, and that's for them, but it's equally for me, I want to feel the energy of students learning and um, growing towards this, this industry and this profession. Um, I, I want to see how they are interacting with their teachers. I want them to see my face um, more than just behind a desk um, so that they see me as um, uh, a person, as a fellow artist, in addition to being the dean. Um, so my, my door is always open as well. Uh, and I want them to know that they can knock and, and walk on through and we can have a conversation. You know, if, I, if my door is closed then I'm obviously working or doing something like now, but I, I am communicating in every way that I can that I, I am here and I'm not someone just to come see if there's a concern. Well, Dean Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a beautiful conversation. I've just so enjoyed um, getting to speak with you and I've just soaked in every little bit of everything you've said. Um, I'd love it if you could tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can follow you. And if you have anything that you'd like to share, any upcoming projects at UNCSA, um, yeah, have at it. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure being here as well. Thank you all so much for inviting me. Um, I am kind of shamelessly not a big social media person, um, but you can email me at um, taylore at uncsa.edu. Um, as far as up and coming projects, we have two choreographers who are in right now, guest choreographers, um, who are working for our fall dance, which will be happening at the end of September. Madison, I see you shaking your head. <laughs> um, and so that performance will be, um, I think there are six performances um, and it should be wonderful. We also have an alum of the program who is currently um, on faculty here, Ashley Lindsay. He will be the third choreographer creating work for that fall dance. Um, so yes, please come on out. Email. Oh, I can tell you it's Fall dance is incredible. So always, and I know it will be so, so good this year. And that's in person, correct? That's right. It is oh, in person. Masked, but in person. Yay, live theater again. <laughs> I know, I thank know. Goodness. Well, Dean Taylor, thank you so much again for joining us. And I just, it was so great to meet you and I hope you have a wonderful day. Same thank here, you. pleasure. Thank you. Of thank course, bye-bye. Bye-bye. I 
just feel so enriched after that conversation and like re-listening to that conversation. I just, she had so many incredible words of wisdom um, about diversity and inclusion and how we can actively take steps to, you know, show empathy towards others and include others um, in our arts community and our dance community specifically. I really loved how she talked about, um, you know, her choreographic process and including her dancers in that and making sure that everybody's story was told honestly. What did, what did you think about that when she said that? I mean, understanding people's perspectives, no matter what stage of life they're in, that can only increase your artistry and increase collaboration, which will create way more possibilities than you could ever imagine just with yourself. Cause she, I know she has like worked with very young students and older dancers and the wealth of knowledge that you get from collaborating with different people with different walks of life is just invaluable. It's so true. And I just, I feel so confident in the future of, you know, dancers and professionals in our industry with someone like Dean Taylor at the head of a higher education organization that can only cultivate, you know, greatness and professional and inclusive people coming out of that program. So I just, I feel so blessed that we were able to have that conversation with her. And I hope everybody was really able to soak it in and come away feeling a little bit kinder and more understanding and hopefully that you're going to reach out to somebody with a kind heart. Well, everyone, that's all we have for today. As always, keep moving, stay curious and stay confident. Bye y'all. Bye. Follow us on Instagram at Art and Flight Inc as well as on Facebook at Art and Flight Inc. And make sure to check out our website, artandflightinc.com. Our theme song is Martha's Prize by Jameson Ross.